Good morning. I think we've had a very um, interesting morning so far talking ab uh, about demand, optimism, the future in shipping, and um, a general feeling that in many sectors uh, the markets are low and, and can really um, have one way to go, which is to go up. Um, and in shipping, as ever, perspective, uh, that leads to the question of should we be uh, buying, ordering, building more ships? And shipping as an industry is uh, very dependent on um, sources of finance in addition to the owner's equity. And um, the strains on bank balance sheets, the regulatory requirements, etc., have made that um, finance um, more difficult to find than it has been at, uh, at various times in the past. So I think it's um, useful here. We have a, a group of, I think, very senior um, shipping finance bankers to um, have a look at where um, money, where, where shipping uh, ship owners have found their money over the last few years, and particularly last year. And I've put up a screen. Should be a slide. Oh. This um, diagram, as you can see, or this chart, supplied by uh, my friend Michael Parker of, of City here, and it's taken from Marine Money's um, statistics, and it shows in 2016 who, which banks provided capital to shipping. And one of the interesting things is how um, at the left of the column it's dominated by, in some ways, the same old players as have always been there. I personally had expected uh, to see more Chinese uh, banks there. Um, and we might hear a bit more from Bill as to why they're, um, where they are and why they're not more of them there. The other interesting... Um, slide is to is to see where the changes are, and to see which banks have um, provided more finance to shipping industry in the last year, and and which have reduced their exposure. So, with that to um, in the back of our mind, I think I'd ask my first question to the to the panel, which is that. Um, in shipping, we, we've really seen ourselves as a global industry, uh, as a global market. And there has been a feeling that um, institutions have become more local in the last um, few years, maybe because of Brexit and affected people in the UK, uncertainty in the US politics, within the EU. Um, is this something which members of the panel feel um, affects um, shipping lenders? 
Can I make a, ask you to comment? Um, yeah, I think I think globalization is uh, of all times. Um, that's uh, and that's not going to stop. Uh, there might be um, things like Brexit and 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 the U.S. administration and um, uh, a bit of trouble in the EU at the moment. But I think globalization will be um, will 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 be there and will actually uh, uh, be there also in the in the in the future. And some industries might um, uh, temporarily have a more localized view. Um, after the financial crisis, there were also some banks that uh, withtracted basically to their domestic um, business. But I think soon realized that, um, and, and it's actually happening now, I think, in the shipping market, um, where some of the financial institutions are uh, mostly the traditional older uh, institutions are withtracting to, to a more uh, localized strategy. Um, but there are definitely a number of others who are um, yeah, looking far beyond and international. And I think that's uh, where, for instance, the Chinese banks come in. Um, they are more and more doing transactions uh, globally. And that's a trend that has. Uh, so when someone leaves leaves the uh, scene, there's a gap, and it will be soon, I think, filled up with with different strategies, different banks, different capital. So, Michael from uh, City. <clears throat> well, I think the the I think in shipping it's more binary. I think the the banks that are in shipping have to be global. It's a global industry, and if you're not global, then you're not really banking an industry that is the most global of all industries. So the banks that are leaving uh, by either choice, like commerce, or by default, if you like, like maybe RBS, for other reasons to do with the bank, um, I mean, they've gone. But I don't see DNB closing its offices in parts of the world. I think if you are a serious bank to the industry, you're going to want to be doing business with the major players or you know, the clients that you have banked and, and, and want to bank. So I think, in a way, we're in a phase where the regulators in Europe, for what is an industry where most of the bank capital comes from European banks, that the period of the regulators being on top of the banks that have exposure to shipping will fade as the industry recovers, particularly uh, in next year, possibly with the exception of daily drilling. But as that fades, so uh, the regulator's pressure may, may, may um, come off, and, and some of my colleagues on the panel can maybe talk about that. But I don't think global versus local really affects any shipping bank that wants to be a proper bank to the industry. So it's really affected the German and the, and the British banks more than the others, is your feeling? I think so. I mean, I think any bank who's, who, whose portfolios were driven by whether it was the KG system in Germany or driven by you know, asset financing with all the problems that that entailed, uh, you know, they, they, they have if you like, come and gone, or at least come and are shrinking. I think those that, um, that were, were, were never in business because of a particular um, angle, if you like, but have always been essentially relationship-focused around their clients, provided that we're able to get through 
this current phase and, and come out of it the other end, I think that, that frankly will continue. And of course, with the Chinese, we see, if you like, a new participant that in a way replaces the German capital, which replaced originally most of the American capital. I should say the light blue on that chart was merely designed to highlight the American institutions, because one of the questions I often get in City is, why are you the only American bank in shipping? Uh, from my own senior risk people, and that was to point out that Bank of America is also, um, and actually you can see there's grown in the last two uh, years. Has expanded so considerably. Has expanded considerably. Yes. So. Um, Michael, you... Yeah, just to, uh, just like to add uh, to this topic. Um, I have, I've also witnessed that uh, some banks have said that um, uh, they are uh, becoming more selective. Uh, and I can, of course, understand that if a bank has been an active lender 10 years ago, building up a, a large shipping book, that book currently consumes quite a bit of capital. So there is a restriction on capital available for new clients for new transactions. So automatically those banks will become more selective. Yeah, and some of these banks have said, okay, we prefer domestic customers over customers far away. But ultimately, as the panelists have also said, it is a global business. So you, you're financing a global business. That drive to uh, a domestic focus has nothing to do with Brexit. It is probably more a result of restriction of capital for new transactions. I will agree. 100% with uh, Michael and Mikael. Indeed, shipping is a global business. Any bank that's committed to the sector has a global presence. It has to have a global presence. But what you alluded to before, Dan, the increase in uh, protectionism, and if we take a little bit more of a macro view, what we see is we see a paradox where the US is actually looking to close its economy, increase protectionism, and what we see is China, I spent the last three years uh, being based in Singapore, doing quite a lot of business in, uh, in China. And what you see there is um, the Chinese president arguing about globalization. You see China trying to connect itself to the rest of the world. There is this huge uh, Belt and Road Initiative they're working on. It's a 900 billion uh, initiative. So intuitively, you would have thought that the US, which has benefited the most out of globalization, would be pro provide, uh, pushing for that. Uh, but bizarrely enough, it's actually China that is, uh, that is pushing for it. Um, so, you know, linking this back into shipping, it is a global business. When it comes to us in DNB, we are um, looking to do business globally, uh, not just in our local market. And yes, there has been a slowdown in trade because of the increased protectionism, but that can only be short term. You cannot stop globalization, and that's how we are positioning ourselves as a, as a bank. Hmm. Bill, that probably brings me to, yes, and, to uh, ask you, and maybe. I should ask you a slightly different question, which is that um, I think we see with many of the large container ship orders, many of the, in fact, the larger orders um, uh, placed for, for, for free, you know, replacement, um, people's first, um, first stop for finance um, is perhaps no longer the Western banks, but people looking at Chinese leasing companies. So I think we're very pleased you, you could, that you've joined us. And if you could give us some idea of um, how a Chinese leasing company such as yours um, looks at uh, an international um, group, of, group of prospective borrowers. Yeah, thank you. And uh, my name is Bill and uh, Bill Go from ICBC Leasing. So ICBC Leasing is 100% owned by the ICBC Bank, and which also in terms of the 
lots of measurement. ICBC Bank is so far the world's largest bank. And um, you know, this good question come from why the ICBC leasing or so other China leasing company go to the shipping finance industry. Um, it's sometimes we have to because it's, it's a globalization. For example, ICBC Bank already opened about over hundreds, 100 branch in you know, outside of China, not in China, outside of China, but not maybe a single branch did any of the shipping finance before because the shipping finance looks very complicated and also need lots of expertise in this industry. So after, China, after ICBC leasing and headquarters in the Beijing, we started to do the finance in the shipping business or overall other branches of ICBC in other countries. They started looking forward also to look for the business. So and the, back to the, the question, the contenders. The contenders ships most built in China, also the China is the largest export countries. So you can see all these boxes, all these ships are built in China. So it's, um, you know, there's a local domestic demand to push the banks or the leasing company to and the finance those ships. Also come from the shipyard because Chinese shipyard are capable to build these uh, massive big ships. So it's come come to the combination of all the requirement actually you know to push the ICBC leasing or also other China leasing company involving those in the big project. For example, the last uh, and, uh, the last months, the one of the top three and the uh, shipping company and um, I couldn't disclose the name, but you, you already know the name um, have decided to build about and uh, nine and uh, twenty two thousand TU ships in the Chinese shipyard. So the first question, who going to finance the project? Because it's, it's billions of dollars in the project. So of course, there's a tradition that China, China ex, export import banks would like to do this. But also Chinese leasing company also want to do this. Why? Because the return is stable and there's also very less risk. It's, a, it's, a, it's a linked with China export import business. So the further China continue to do the export in terms of the box, you know, there's container shipping business will be, keep growing. The same for the dry box, maybe, sorry. But, but I think um, that is very much a, a Chinese orientated, um, you can see the Chinese export industry, but, I, but the feeling is that the Chinese lessors are also looking beyond uh, the Chinese market, beyond Chinese shipbuilders are looking to um, get involved in transactions which don't have that direct local Chinese um, component. Mm. Um, can you comment on that? Yes, and um, you know, for example, right now for the ICBC leasing, eighty percent of the business actually we come from outside of China, and uh, fifty and the five zero actually is a European customers. That's why we are very popular, and also you know put our face and uh, in all the kind of event in the Europe in the London, try to you know promote our brand, also promote to the European customers. And uh, you know, all these um, tra transactions actually have very, had very little connection with China. Even the ship maybe not built in China. But you know that matter because and uh, all kind of project we like to involve and also support the shipping finance. Great. Does anyone? Do any other members of the panel wish to make a comment on? I think on, on um, the Chinese perspective, uh, as Bill has put. I think I think uh, I think we've seen a lot of uh, transactions, um, and we have also been in between as an arranger of uh, sale lease backs with with Chinese lessors. It could also be existing ships. Um, it's just a different uh, part of the of, of, of raising capital. I think equity and debt uh, for some situations with long-term employment or long-term uh, charters back to uh, to uh, to someone who can um, who has the cargo for it. So 
yeah, existing ships, new buildings, and I think there have also been Japanese and Korean ships, uh, new building ships being done by Chinese lessors, so they are becoming very uh, flexible. And that's, I think, uh, the word. The, it's, it's pretty cheap and flexible capital. And much appreciated by the shipping industry. Of course. But the volumes are, um, are typically much higher than uh, a commercial bank could put on the table on a single transaction. So those uh, borrowers that, uh, that face a large order, like some of the major container liners, um, they may face exposure caps with their natural lenders, and the leasing money is a, is a, is a great solution for them. So I can, I can see the appeal of this uh, product to some of the, uh, the major borrowers. I think also um, what the challenge is for the more European banks, and perhaps also the American banks, is, is the cost of capital. Yep. And that's where regulations are, uh, are, are, have come in and will be even more stringent. And our capital is becoming more scarce and more expensive um, because of um, all sorts of reasons. And that's where, again, I think some people are stepping in with cheaper capital. Well, I think that, <clears throat> Trip, thank you very much, because that was bringing me on. Pick, can I just make one comment? Yeah. I mean, one of the, I remember when we used to talk to owners, used to bilateral relationships about syndication, and, and a lot of concern of owners was, who, am I, who is my lender? And what happens when I need a waiver and all those sort of things? And I think as many shipping conferences, whether they're finance or broader, you know, complain about either too much money or not enough money. There's lots of money around all the time. And what we're seeing, particularly with the Chinese, is a natural you know, provision of capital, whether it is directly related to Chinese-built ship ships or not. But in the end, what a borrower has to be concerned about, whether it is accessing banks or accessing capital markets, is what is the overall makeup of their funding. And so from a relationship perspective, you may get a very good deal today, but in order to make sure that your relationships with your capital providers are sustainable and fr friendly and work together, whether it is an American, German, Dutch, or Chinese institution, you've got to sort of manage that. So my only caution would be any owner who gets overexposed to one particular group of lenders is, is taking some sort of risk that they may find it difficult to manage those relationships at some point in future if they get into difficulty. Well, I think we've um, seen in, in transactions how uh, perhaps the uh, Chinese leases are seen as possibly more covenant-like, more less restrictive than, um, than some bank, uh, bank facilities. But of course, the leasing transaction is inherently less flexible than a bank loan. Um, you don't have the same ability to refinance it um, and, and, to, and to repay it. I think my next development, we still have um, on this list here, we have a, uh, an industry dominated by the European banks. And um, DNB here, KFW, Nord, um, have managed, seem to have avoided the um, requirements of regulators, uh, which have caused um, other banks to um, reduce their portfolios. Um, how have they done that? And um, 
is there anything particular they're looking for which will allow them to lend more? Well, the reality is that regulation has increased tremendously uh, in banking, and all of us feel that. Uh, DNB, you know, we are the largest in the industry. That's not out of choice. Some of our competitors have reduced faster than us, so we found ourselves to be the biggest. But that, again, is not really our target. Um, you know, we've seen an explosion on the leasing side, just to take a little bit of a step back. And uh, that is a very welcome addition, because the way we at DNB see our business model is we are arrangers of capital for our clients. We are not there to provide the cheapest money, but we are there to provide different alternatives. And, you know, we used to be very big in arranging syndicated loans. You know, we still are. Mm. We are very active in arranging leasing transactions. We have ICBC here, but there are a big number of leasing houses in Asia springing up every day. So we have been bringing this capital to our, to our clients. We've been bringing export credit to our clients. Uh, so it's very much, as Michael said, the portfolio. You have to look, as a ship owner, at your capital structure, not be exposed too much in, in one area, and try to figure out for each situation what's the best opportunity you have. And that's how we see our role at DNB is providing these alternatives to our customers and explaining what makes sense for each. And it could be a bilateral, or it could be a syndicate, or it could be a leasing solution. So that's where banking is, is, is transitioning, really, at least in our eyes. Which, again, why it's important that, uh, that banks like ourselves, we take a global view, not only on our client base, but also on those uh, solutions that we can bring to our clients, such as Asian capital, ECAs, uh, equity from the States. It's, it's a global business, not only from the ship owner's point of view, but also from the solutions on the capital side. Mm. Um, also, then, the one comment from, one comment from my side was, you know, um, you know, relatively, because we got pretty good in the rating system and um, from the Moody from SP, so we can raise relatively cheaper money from the ICBC banks or from ICBC leasing. So structure is, you know, we have already a cooperation with a lot of European banks, but also with the Chinese banks as well. Basically, we, we do the sales lease back, also we sell those assets to the, our Chinese banks. So, and, uh, so basically, like, we work together. It's like a little pipe. So basically, your gossip deal, pass to ICBC leasing, we finish the transaction, we further sell to our ICBC banks or other Chinese banks further. Or we have a further, like, some of the asset management company, you know, owned by the Chinese government. They maybe only, you know, achieve a very little return, but the safe return is okay. So the fact we can prove the shipping asset is a good asset, you know, they don't mind to buy this asset further. So that's why the demand from Chinese leasing, or in general from the Chinese capital market, is, is huge for the shipping business. Uh, Bill, uh, maybe I can ask you a question on, on, on your product. Um, we see indeed also uh, leasing activity from Korea, Japan, but it seems to be with lower volumes per transactions than, than China. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that will change? Do you expect more competition from Korea, Japan also in terms of, of volumes? Yeah, we do see, but you know, the, again, it's the fundamentally it's a compete with the cost of the capital. So I think, and, um, you know, if you if measure everything in the U.S. dollar, I think China still will have the advantage mm -hmm. for, the, um, for our capital of the cost. And, uh, for example, last year and in general, and uh, China leasing, um, including ICBC leasing, we finance about uh, 15 billion U.S. dollars. But our budget maybe overall is 20 billion. And, uh, so, you know, we still have room to grow, actually. It's, a, it's just, you know, we're looking for the good project. And ICBC leasing, we only, only did about $3 billion U.S. dollar finance. And the last year, so this year we may do the similar or even bigger figure. 
So every year, I think about and um, it's a it's, it's about twenty or even more billion US dollar budget, you know, to be fulfilled by the China leasing company. So the the room is big. Um, still keeping on this um, globalization and localization scheme, one of the um, features of, of some comment has been that um, world industry has seen a certain amount of onshoring and with robotics, with 3D printing, with manufacturing coming closer uh, to where the markets are, that possibly the rate of growth in uh, world trade um, particularly in, in containerized trade, may not be so obviously on a continuous upward, upward trend um, if the costs of actually building consumer products in a robot-controlled, um, uh, robot-populated factory in the US um, is less than building them in China. Is that uh, something which you as banks... Um, look at and concerned about the long-term life of a, of a large container ship of 22,000 um, TU? I mean, is, is that a, a concern to you? And I don't know whether, whether Bill, you can make a comment. Oh. Um, you know, of course, we like the, in general, we like the big ship and um, um, the reason because of the cost again. So the bigger one, of course, and the per unit cost will be reduced. And uh, in theory, of course, based on our real operation, maybe it's a different story. But China has very good and I would say, you know, infrastructures in all these major ports like Shanghai, Yantian, or the Qingdao. So all, all these ports, they, they, they can support these in the big vessels and you know, 20, 22,000 TU ships. But the destination in the Europe, maybe in the US, especially the US, they, they can't port these kind of big ships. So that's kind of the challenge right now and, uh, for those ships. And, uh, you know, from the financing perspective, we don't mind. Actually, we're very actively involved in those big shipbuilding because in the China right now, the shipyard is capable to build its ships compared with uh, maybe three years ago, only the Korean shipyards so, can do that. So no concern that um, changing shapes of trade will, will mean these large ships will no longer be in demand? It's also because the, I think the container shipping is a consolidation. So the Costco finished consolidation with OCL and also the other similar consolidation. So in my opinion, you know, for this uh, trade lane, it's only maybe in a few and few players in this market, which also which means to protect their profitability. You know. the, 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 well, uh, robotics and nanotechnology and all these things you know, may have long-term implications for yeah. Society shipping has been very adaptable, and we all know that global trade is the enabler of developing to develop economies. And so, we should expect China, Asia, Africa to depend ultimately upon shipping to help them develop. Now, I think the issue, the two issues that shipping faces are increasing regulation, ballast water, low sulfur. So, I think it needs to get used to, like aviation, a much more regulated industry, which may have impact on the physical side of shipping, and that may have an impact on the life of ships and the ability to uh, retrofit whatever requirements, whatever. So I think that much more than robotics and anything else will impact it. And I think the second thing is capacity, and we have a great opportunity now as a result of the 
disastrous decisions of both banks and ship owners in the last 10 years to try and avoid repeating the same cycle of mistakes by ship owners realizing that if you keep supply short, you will actually make money. So the danger of unnecessary ordering is far greater threat than robotics or nanotechnology. Mm. I suspect most people on the panel would agree with that. Yeah, I think um, we, we just, uh, before we started, made the, the um, calculation, right, that a normal order book should, should be something uh, around, what was it, uh, 8, 9, 10%. But in most cases and in most times, the, um, the order book of ships of almost any kind is much higher than that. And that, has, that is, I think, the, the big problem in the last uh, 10 years. And that's a sort of uh, discipline on, on new building. I like new buildings as long as they are, um, as long as the ne next generation is more more eco, if you like, than the, than the previous one. You're, you're, you um, said you, your colleague in New York said you weren't going to finance any new buildings. Yeah, correct. There's a new new kit on the block now. <laughs> no, but, um, yeah, but you were, I, you didn't want to encourage people by. I think, I, think, uh, I think when it, exactly as I said, uh, if, if the new building is more eco, then uh, we'll have a very good look at it because that makes a lot of sense. Um, replacing the car, uh, cars on the road by electric cars is in the end a good thing, electrification. Replacing ships on the water by more eco-friendly uh, ships, more sustainable ships is a very good thing that should happen. So in that respect, I like that. On the other hand, it's of course not good for the supply-demand equation, and that will be a very big challenge, I think, going forward. Have you met an owner who doesn't have an eco ship? Yeah, met a lot of owners who. Ships. Yeah. Okay. I met a lot of owners who have an old fleet, and um, that's, I think, um, something that uh, that is tough in, 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 in the future. No, I, I, I would say uh, we need to exercise a little bit of caution. And if we look, look at some of statistics, um, I was looking at an IMF study some time ago. And in the 90s, and one, a 1% increase in gro global growth would lead to a 2.5% increase in trade. In recent years, a 1% increase in global growth is yielding only a 0.7% in trade. So that tells you that there is a reduction. And that's because of the factors that you mentioned than before. Also, if we look at the traditional markets, and I think Michael alluded to it when he spoke about emerging markets in India and China, if you look at the Asia-Europe uh, route on the container side, in the second half of 18, because of the bigger ships, we are expecting to see an 11.5% increase in capacity. Mm -hmm. So this is telling you that there should be a challenge there. Shipping is very creative. Ship owners are very creative. I think you will see a pickup on different routes. I think you will see a pickup on the emerging markets as India develops, as China develops. But at the present time, I think it's very important to exercise caution when it comes to funding new buildings. I think that's, that's very important because the statistics are showing a trend, and we just need to be aware of that. Yeah, I agree with, uh, with Crystals. We also recognize that the... Uh, the increase in, uh, in growth does not uh, result in the same trade increase as before, and that's exactly, uh, I think, the reason for your question. Uh, with wage increases in China uh, going up quicker than, for example, Mexico, you do see some shift of manufacturing um, closer to the consumer, and that does have an impact on, on shipping. But surely the supply side 
of the balance, the ordering, that's what's going to drag down the industry if we're not disciplined there. The demand we can, we can manage with the flexibility of our clients. Good. Well, I think you know, many people um, have credited the um, slow, slowdown in credit with, with a, perhaps helping and, and ship, uh, save the shipping markets from themselves, the, the difficulty in financing ships and making it more uh, easy for owners to restrain themselves from ordering more ships. Um, so I think we hope that that um, will end up with a better market for all of us. But um, I don't know, Michael, do you want to make a last comment? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm not having a go at you, yeah. but you do stand out on that chart above us for the growth of your portfolio in the last two years. Yeah, we've been, we've been very busy, and we are actually very busy. Um, as someone said before, we don't necessarily want to be the biggest. Um, we want to be valuable for our clients and for new clients. Um, and, then, and, and indeed, as uh, Christos was saying, um, then it comes to providing the best solution for that capital structure of that client. And that can be any sort. And if it is using our balance sheet, then that's fine. Then we'll do that. Um, and presumably part of these changes is, in fact, the acquisition of existing portfolios rather yeah. than new business. We, we have um, bought small parts of other people's um, Assets, yeah, and um, yeah, that's uh, that's. But there's always a reason for for it to do that. Usually, it has a client angle and a client reason to do that. Good. Well, I think I should thank everyone for a, a very interesting contributions, and, and thank you very much. Thank you.